beginning, I'd like to pray one of my favorite prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. I call it a prayer for reading scripture. Pray with me. <coughs> Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. All right, so, question for the kids who are left in this room. How, by show of hands, how many of you were able to choose what your mom or dad made for dinner last night? All right, for the adults, how many of you got to choose what your spouse made for dinner last night? <laughs> ah, okay. So, for the kids, how about this? All right, maybe this might be a, a better one. How many of you got to choose where you live right now? All right, show of hands, who's responsible for that decision? Yeah. You live here in, I'm presuming, the Wake County area, unless someone really likes to drive that far for Redeemer, that you are here because of the decision that your parents made. And finally, how many of you got to choose the person who gave birth to them? None. The fact is, all of us are in some position, one or another, of which because of the decisions of another on behalf of us, we find ourselves in a place that we did not ask to be, we find ourselves descended from someone we did not choose, and we have to eat the things that we didn't even want to eat necessarily. <laughs> but we didn't even choose it, and that's the point. Well, this morning, we're going to hear what the scripture says about who we belong to spiritually. Where we live without our own choice. Who we are descended from without anyone asking our opinion on that This morning we're going to talk about two humanities and two inheritances. The first humanity and the first inheritance is that of Adam. This morning, we read in from Genesis chapters 2 and 3 that the man was given a specific command in the garden, and this extended to Eve, obviously, as, uh, as the servant asked, well, what was the command that God gave you as well? And he disobeyed God. And he was told that in the day that you disobey, you are going to die. And indeed, when we see throughout the scriptures, we've all inherited it. That punishment that he received because of his sin. All share this inheritance because it's given to you as a birthright that you cannot reject. And we, the Apostle Paul, in our reading of Romans this morning, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. His point is, we have sinned all throughout the world, all throughout mankind. And what is the proof of this sin? Of this, of this sin? What is the proof that we all belong to the family of Adam? 
The proof is that we all died. When you read through the beginning of Genesis and Adam's descendants, they live extraordinarily long lives. Some live 900 years old. You know, 900, they live 900 years. And this changes dramatically because by the time you get to Psalm 91, Psalm 90, the Psalm of Moses, he says, a man who is of strength lives 80 years. But nevertheless, they all died. The consequences of Adam's sin was that he would die. And we see through the scriptures and through our own life that this is true. And it wasn't, it wasn't kept just to Adam. It was kept to us. Some of the proof I can find in my own self, I am not old. I don't claim to be old. But I am definitely older than I was. I have severe back issues. I've had back issues since I was in middle school. I recently discovered that I actually fractured a vertebrae somewhere in the past 10 years. And so two of my vertebrae are now squeezing down on one, always pushing in to my lower back. I'm only 32 years old. And yet I find myself succumbing to the effects of age. And unfortunately for me, we have to throw a small thing, right? This will only, at the very least, it will stay the same, if not continue to get worse as I get older and older and older, which is why I now see a chiropractor in the of care. But his point is, is that, notice he says that this is not because of your own personal sin. We would like to think because I sinned, because I told a lie yesterday, Therefore, the consequences for myself is death. Now, there is a sense in which, sure, the wages of sin is death, and you are just keeping judgment upon yourself for it. But the apostle says, it's not because of your own personal sin that you died, but he says that death came through one man through sin because all sin. He doesn't say because all present sin all died, but because somehow, mysteriously, in the past, all sinned. When Adam sinned as our representative head of humanity, we all were in him, and we all sinned in him. And that can be a really difficult concept for us to swallow in our modern because we, are, we love our individual autonomous selves to where I am responsible for myself and my parents and my previous generations and my brothers and sisters and wives and cousins and friends, etc. have no bearing on me whatsoever. But that's not how the scriptures in the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite books, he even mentions this kind, of, this kind of way of thinking is that the priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to the priesthood of Levi that we find in the Old Testament because somehow Levi, being in Abraham, paid ties to Melchizedek in the Bible and you ask for blessing from one who is greater than him. And so even that way, Levi is inferior to Melchizedek because of something that his great, 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 great ancestor did. The Apostle continues this line in another book, in the first epistle to the Corinthians, where he says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. It's there. It's, sim it's similar, as some of the research I was trying to, to do this week, it's like a, a woman who is pregnant and takes opioids during her pregnancy. Her baby is born addicted to this 
and has to go through withdrawal symptoms and needs medical attention. This baby didn't take any drugs of their own accord, and yet they suffer the effects of their parents. And we have not, we have inherited not only the consequences, but the nature of sin itself. It says in verse 14, death reigned with Adam most even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, was a type of the one to come. And so not only have we inherited Adam's guilt, the birthright is that we inherit Adam's sinful nature. And the proof of this, for instance, is with my own marriage. I remember about a year or yeah, I guess about a year after we were married, because everything's always perfect when you get married. Uh, I don't even remember what the fight was about. Rebecca and I got into a huge fight. And yes, I had the permission to share this before I did. And I got so mad, I stormed out of the house and took a drive. And I started praying, and I said, God, if she hadn't done this, I would not have reacted this way. And instantly, in my heart, what came out was, the woman that you gave me made me do this. I repeated, paraphrased, exactly what Adam told God. The woman that you gave me, gave me the fruit. And I ate. And so, all people have received this as their inheritance. And that's repeating over and over. This is what we want to walk away with from the beginning part of this passage. And indeed, death's hold does not simply stop with physical death. Though it is proven that. It also, apart from God, results in eternal death. Those who die apart from God without faith in Him not only die in this age, but they die for all eternity in the age to come. And even the saints of the Old Covenant, before Christ, Abraham, Moses, David, Josiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, one of my favorite persons in the Old Testament because the best name, Neherishwa Hashtag, is the son of Isaiah. It's a really great name to say all the time. When they died, they didn't go to the Father. They were in this place called Paradise, where Abraham's bosom and Sheol, the grave, awaiting the day when they would finally be set free from that. Now, here, Abraham's bosom, Paradise, is leagues better than wherever you're going to be. Uh, when you read the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, the man in unquenchable fire, saying, Please just give me one drop of water on my tongue. That is so much better to be in Abraham's bosom, to be in a resting place. And yet, even in death, even the faithful God could not escape the grave. They were still waiting for life to come. Because in Adam, all that. But thanks be to God, there is now a second inheritance. And this is what we read in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for men. And so the second inheritance that is now available to us today, that second kind of humanity, is that of Christ. And he is said in verse 14 to be the Adam, the type of the one who was to come. That type of the one to come being Jesus. And why is this? Because just as Adam, as the head of humanity, did one act, and condemn all of mankind, so too does Christ, by His action on our behalf, bring justification and life and righteousness to all mankind. So what does Jesus give us instead? He gives us a new inheritance and eternal life. 
So beforehand, you had a nice, you had a birthright that was given to you, and now he would like to give you an inheritance document. You might be saying, well, Aaron, that's a Redeemer liturgy of bulletin. And I would say you're right, it's called an illustration. But it's also, in a sense, our liturgy this morning reflects what it means to be a child of God given the new inheritance. So as we continue on in the service, pay attention to that thought. But the proof of this is, of course, is, is if Adam, if the dead, if Adam's if Adam's sin gave us the proof of death, to prove that we have all sinned in him, then what is the proof that Christ has given to us a new inheritance and eternal life? The proof is Christ's own resurrection. Because in that, God proved that Jesus is the Son of God. And he proved that the resurrection will happen. As Paul will also say in Corinthians, it's a wonderful book about the resurrection. He says, for if we share in a death like his, we will share in the resurrection like his. Now notice that the apostle says that this is a gift. Over and over, he keeps saying the free gift, the free gift, the free gift. Well, what is important about that? What is a gift? Well, the importance of it is that a gift is something that's given to you. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you can work and work and work and work and work and finally receive. A gift is something that someone gives to you out of their own benevolence. And it is up to you whether or not you will receive it. And it is something for you to be grateful for. Not something for you to try to earn your way into. Otherwise, it's not a gift. That is part of the Apostle's point in this book. That if you try to earn this gift, all you're doing is earning wages. The only wage you can earn by your own work is death. So once again, we're stuck back here in Adam. So if you want to be in Christ, you have to receive this gift. And he says that it is not like the trespassers was to come. Well, in what ways is it not? The first is that the first inheritance brings death. And the second inheritance brings grace. The first inheritance brings judgment and condemnation. The second inheritance brings justification. That is, you are made right before God. The first inheritance places one in slavery under death. Imagine, if you will, you are, a, you are enslaved. You are in chains, while death reigns on a throne, overlooking all the servants of his kingdom that he has kept in bondage. But the second inheritance places one as an inheritor of a kingdom, as he says in verse 17, reigning in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In the first, you are a, you're a subject and a slave in the kingdom of death. In the second, you are a son of the kingdom, a son of God, and the inheritor of his kingdom. And finally, the first inheritance is a birthright and is for all people. The second inheritance is akin to an adoption, available to all people, but only for those who will receive it. In verse 17, it says, for those who will receive the free gift of righteousness. As an example of this, I have three younger siblings who were all adopted out of foster care. And the three situations that they were in were rather horrible situations. Now, that being said, my family has their own issues. So it's not always been a nice, perfect, rosy, peace, peaceful garden all the time. But nevertheless, there is a small image of that 
where they were taken from the slavery and bondage that they were in, and my family was able to provide them some measure of freedom by coming into our family, and we were able to give them the gospel. We were able to raise them in the faith. And we're able to give them a new inheritance and a new identity and a new last name so that now my siblings are Philip Gann, Zeta Gann, and Anthony's King. And so with this adoption, once again, you get justification. Like I said, you're legally innocent before God. You get eternal life instead of death. So revisiting the saints of the Old Covenant, they're now with the Father. They were awaiting for that life. And it says in Ephesians that when he ascended on high, he led, he led forth captive a host of captives. Who were these captives? The captives were those who even in faithfulness, in paradise, could not come before the Father, but now have their final rest being led by Christ to the Father. And you will be too. And given that Adam and Eve's character after the fall was one of faithfulness to God and reliance on God and hope in His promises, even Adam was rescued from his own Adam sinning, his own Adam-ness. And because of that, we will have resurrection to life with resurrected bodies. And we have peace with God because we are now part of God's family. Now, after all this, the Apostle, he suddenly goes into this thing about the law, and, and it almost seems like, well, what's the purpose of that? We've already kind of established the, the two inheritances. But he, he brings up a good point, because why was the law necessary, and what was the purpose of it? Because if the sin of Adam, apart from the law, was sufficient to bring condemnation and necessitate a new inheritance, and if the law cannot justify any other we've discussed, then why does it matter? Why would God do such a thing? Well, throughout, if you read the whole of Scripture, there's several purposes to the law. But here, the point of the law is to increase the trespass. What does that mean? This is expanded further in Romans chapter 7, so just a little preview, a little bit of the work already done for you, whoever's going to preach on that passage. He says in Romans 7, beginning with verse 7, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? I know it. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies. In this context, the purpose of the law is so that you know what sin is and find yourself unable to fulfill even the smallest commandment. If God said, don't covet, well now you know what coveting is, and suddenly sin in you says, hey, we're going to covet even harder. It says that you shall, you shall not murder, you shall not hate in your heart, as Jesus will expand on that. And we find ourselves wanting to murder our brothers and sisters. He says that you shall not worship any other gods, and we find ourselves desperately seeking for another god to worship. One of my friends astutely said that when you look through the pattern of the Torah, the first five books of Moses, that commandments always come after sin has been committed. It's interesting, for instance, to note that though Cain murdered his brother Abel, there was no commandment, thou shalt not murder. 
but only a few chapters later after the flood, that's when you finally get a commandment, don't murder. Well, this happens over and over throughout the Torah, where when someone sins, suddenly, okay, there's a law for it now. Is that so in the same way, when you read the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, it's not simply, hey, this is what you're going to do from now on, but he says, I see you, and I see that you are a thief, and I see that you are an idol worshiper, and you are covetous, and you steal, and kill, and destroy, and that is why you need to hear this law. But as far as the Apostle is concerned here, the point of the law is so that we understand grace even more, so that we might see the darkness for how dark it is, and therefore see light for how light it is, so that we might see sin even clearer out and allow it to reign even further, so that when grace appears, it reigns even more than sin, which results in death. And so here in our own liturgy, as we hear the word of the law, during Lent, when we repeat the Ten Commandments and we say, Lord, incline our hearts to keep this law, we also come face to face with the fact that we don't. When we say, God, incline our hearts because our hearts don't incline. We hate God's law in this. And it shows us to be guilty. And so when we hear the words in our liturgy, when we have the confession that we say every Sunday, when we hear the promises of absolution, and the grace we receive at the table becomes that much more sweet, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb, are the promises of the Lord. So our question this morning as we finish up is to which humanity do you belong this morning? I suspect that most of us in this room belong to the humanity of Christ. And so for that, there's a few things we do. We are in what is called the already and not yet. What I mean by that is we are resurrected people awaiting resurrection bodies. We are almost two things in one. We have our souls, our spirits have been resurrected in Christ, and yet we still have an old nature, the flesh that is daily nailed to the cross, and yet like a zombie just keeps getting up and its desire and hunger is for us. And we find ourselves, unfortunately, walking in that flesh so much more than we are. But we still have eternal life. And we are adopted as children. And because we are adopted as God's children today, walk worthy in the manner of your calling. And when you fall, which you will, there is grace for every sin that you commit because He has given to you more justification than condemnation sin could ever give you. Your old flesh, as I said, now the cross desires for you, and it will one day die. Unless the Lord sees fit to heal my back, I'm going to have a degenerating back. But one day, this body is going to be buried, and then it's going to be resurrected, and perfect, and holy as it was intended to be, and it will never die, and no longer be tainted by sin. And so, worship the Lord this morning in the mercy that you have received. But, if there are any here who are still completely in the slavery of Adam, then it's not too late. Because the fact that you're here right now, maybe you're hearing this on a recording at a later point, it's not coincidence that you're hearing this right now. Because you are already dead, as we heard in the gospel, in the gospel reading. You're just awaiting judgment. You are in Adam. But Christ has come that you might have life. So you may join the new humanity, 
as promised in the gospel. Look to Christ, lifted up for your sin, raised for your justification, and be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. And the poison of death, like a, like a snake sinking its teeth into your heels, and its venom forcing through your veins, does not even have a hold on you. And if this is you this morning, then I urge you, come talk to any of us this morning. Come talk to myself, come talk to Pastor Ford, come talk to your neighbor. Talk to someone who just looks like they might be friendly and might be good to talk to. Because they probably will be. And today, if you hear his voice, if you are part of his the new humanity or part of the old, do not harden your heart. But walk in that. And if you have already joined, then this morning, feed on him in your heart by faith and with thanksgiving. Lord, 